to the Mad Max Minute, you can grab the sun all you want, but please don't look directly at it. Rather, just be like us and stare directly at Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 30, which begins with Nux flooding his car with gasoline, and it ends with Nux's car being destroyed by the war rig. Wrapping up the week with us is our resident expert on British iconography, Johnny Powers from Austin Powers Minute. And our resident expert on billionaires who like to dress up in black rubber suits to beat up poor people, Niall McGowan from the Batman It podcast. <laughs> Hello, yes. Wow, that's quite an intro. Oh, that's accurate. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, thanks. Now, you would think that I would be more kind to Niall's property, just considering no. he's a guest in our home, but we are not a Batman-friendly home. No, we're not. No. That's interesting. <laughs> because... He is a billionaire who dresses in black rubber and beats up poor people. Yeah, we have discussed this on that Batman before. Yeah, it is kind of like Batman is Bruce Wayne at least is like the one percent, and he is laying into people who are, uh, you know, a lot of them obviously have like deranged psychopaths like the Joker and stuff. But he's like, yeah, he deserves what he gets. But uh, yeah, there are like a lot of the small time hoodlums. It's a bit like, yeah, I guess he is just sort of like. Big rich guy coming in, you know, yeah. getting his kicks by like punching the teeth out of some people who just like need to steal to survive and stuff. But I've definitely said this before, but Batman needs a Luke Cage to basically whap him up the back of the head and be like, dude, you have more power than just your batty detective skills. You can go after these people in power. And I say that he needs a Luke Cage because that's exactly what happens in the Iron Fist Netflix show. Mm. Luke Cage says, hey, stop beating up poor people in my neighborhood. Go after the corporate guys that are ruining this whole city. You mean the most annoying Marvel series on the Netflix? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> as annoying as Danny Rand is, anytime Luke Cage is around. <laughs> it's good. But like the rest of the series is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will say, though, like there is. um you know, sometimes it has been addressed in, in within Batman mythos. Uh, one of the most memorable times is in uh, the animated series episode where you see why Robin, why Dick Grayson quit being Robin and went to become Nightwing is because he started having disagreements with the way Bruce was doing things. And there's one scene where uh, Batman's interrogating a guy who's wrapped, wrapped up in some criminal activity who's just a family man who's just trying to do it to make money to make ends meet and stuff. And Batman comes in and like viciously interrogates this guy in front of his family. And Robin's going, "You can't! What are you doing? These kids are here. You can't do this in front of them." And Batman's like, "Just like, shut up! I'll do what I want." And um, <laughs> you find out afterwards, but you know, at that point, Robin's like, "The hell with this! I'm out of here. You're you're nuts, man." You find out that Bruce Wayne did in fact hire that man later on and gave him a good living wage and stuff. So he made a, he, he's doing the Batman thing to terrorize criminality. Whereas Bruce Wayne, his other half, can in some way aid people by giving them gameful employment and stuff like that. So he, you know, they've, they've dealt with it kind of within Batman in the past. But um, you know, so you know, you know, he's a good guy. He's scary. He's wearing a you know goofy outfit, but he's a good guy. Listen, in this house, we stand Nightwing. So. Oh yeah, you should as you should. 
I also stand Furioso. Mm. In this house, if we're going to be wearing black leather, it's going to be because it's an apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to ask, like, uh, uh, Johnny and Julia, like, because I knew a lot of people, uh, a lot of women who really, uh, for many obvious reasons, really took the Furiosa as a character. And, uh, like, I know even people within the Movies by Menace community, I've seen, like, you know, cosplaying Furiosa and stuff in the past. But, like, I knew uh, women who wanted to shave their heads and stuff in like out of in, been inspired by the character like did you guys ever go that far with your furious of fandom where you want to get like the buzz cuts to emulate her or was it just like nah just she's just pretty cool character <laughs> i wanted to shave my head once but it was really just because i had a bad haircut <laughs> <laughs> and it would have been better mm. no i no I, I appreciate furiosa and i i recognize that she is a feminist icon that the world needed at the time and still needs quite frankly but i generally don't get that passionate about subjects like that so you know she's cool but you know yeah i never wanted to shave my head i think the only reason that i was so excited about her was she kind of opened accessibility a little bit with cosplay because it was really wonderful to see like amputees get really excited about cosplaying her too oh yeah and just opening like the conversation with like this is a disabled character basically so it's creating i don't know inclusivity along with the cosplay community that should already be there hmm. yeah we've mentioned it once before and i love this thing in 2015 you had ray and you had furiosa and furiosa was great because she was a mature person with life experience she wasn't bright doe-eyed oh this is all new to me she had been through the ringer, and yet she was still defiant and powerful in the face of overwhelming odds. Mm. I think like what I liked about Furiosa as well is that um, they don't. You get a, a, a lot of some. Uh, sometimes you get, particularly in more recent things, when uh, mostly male directors and writers and stuff, when they try to have like a strong female character, they go into this default mode of like they're just badass. They're just like they're infallible ba badasses because they don't want to introduce. I guess maybe they're kind of scared to introduce flaws because they think it might open them up to criticism. Like that's one of my few uh, things I like. I had against um, like Into the Spider Verse was like a you know amazing, amazing film. But then the portrayal Spider Gwen, it's like yeah, she's a very dry character. She's just a badass. That's all you can really take away from her and stuff. Whereas Furiosa, she does have this. It's the indication about the characters that she's done something horrible in the past that she is trying to redeem herself for. And it's just, you know, it gives her as much mystery as Max has as well. And you obviously he's going through his own, like, uh, you know, PTSD about the th people he left behind and stuff as well. So the fact that they, they, they have Furiosa there as a character who's obviously done something that she's you know, inherently not proud of. And she's not a perfect character that she is, in, in fact, in seeking redemption. I thought that was, you know, as long as alongside being this great, you know, representative for, you know, as Johnny says, you know, for amputees and just for women, you know, as, as a gender as well. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a really well done, very subtly done character as well. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a great job all around. Can't say enough good things about this movie, basically, is what I'm trying to, to get to through all this. We often forget, and we definitely should remind ourselves often, that for a long time, Furiosa has been Immortan Joe's Imperator. You don't get to drive the war rig on a whim. Like, mm. you've got to be a pretty damn good Imperator, a pretty loyal soldier 
to a pretty awful person in order to get that sort of recognition. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, yeah, I don't want to go in too much, like, but like, considering you're talking like, oh, in this year we got, you know, we got Furiosa and we got Ray. But then Furiosa, I, I would say, that almost as a character, has more in common with Finn. Because he's sort of like, oh, he was a stormtrooper who just defected. And then, at least so far in those two movies, I don't think we've never seen much guilt out of him. He just seems to be kind of this, you know, just constantly panicking and trying to like, eventually trying to do the right thing, but always just sort of like out for his own skin and then trying to run away, basically. And then going, like, no, I need to stand up and do something and stuff. But there's, um, it's kind of like there's the same character, the same baggage, or similar baggage, at least. But uh, I think maybe despite the fact she only has one movie and very sparse dialogue, you kind of get more out of Furiosa, maybe? Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. I'm sure there's many people who have strong feelings in Star Wars who I'm sure will be happy to correct me on that if they perceive me as being wrong. I think the reason I bring up Star Wars so often is because I'm also on the side listening to the You Are Awaited podcast with Yuri Lowenthal and Travis Centel, and they spend an awful lot of time talking about Star Wars, but not in a positive way. Mm. Um, I can't remember if it was Yuri or Travis on the top of my head that did not like Force Awakens at all. So they're constantly bringing it up as a counterpoint to Fury Road. But I will say this about Finn. He switches awfully fast from being a stormtrooper to being okay at shooting at other stormtroopers. And Furiosa doesn't spend all that much time specifically shooting at war boys yeah. like when you think of her interactions with ace before they actually got to the storm sure she didn't tell him the whole truth and she eventually did punch him in the face with the barrel of her gun but it's not like she specifically took any sort of pride or glee in destroying her former comrades now saying that i also need to highlight that in wednesday's minute she did drive that war rig awfully close to a toxic tornado and if uh, Monaro got swept up and blown away, any war boys that were hanging out on the top of that tanker are also gone now. <laughs> but every time she has attacked a war boy, it's been defensive. Exactly. She's not hunting them down. Nope. Mm. Her interest is only in escaping. But does Finn hunt them down? I feel like his is a lot defensive as well. Mm. Ooh, it's been too long since mm -hmm. I've seen the movie. I see Niall's point and I raise him the part of where he goes on his jaunt with Rose. And that's, I think, where his turning point is. He feels all the guilt. Well, okay. Because he's like seeing what his old side used to do to the galaxy and what he was a part of. Yeah, yeah. And then he decides instead of jumping ship, he's actually going to full, full on join the resistance. <laughs> yeah. 120%. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. fair enough, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it just takes that little bit of something to alter your mindset. And I bring up altered mindsets because Nux oh has started putting in action a plan that is going to, I am assuming in his mind, disable the rig and eventually allow Joe to reclaim his wives. He has started filling his car with gasoline. He pulls a couple of gas lines on the floor. He opens up a valve by the back of his seat he takes hold of a hatch and opens it up so the gas just flows out into the car and there are too many things in this car for me not to believe that this is a pre-built-in strategy for this style of vehicle oh definitely definitely the whole rolling bomb thing has got to be a feature and not a bug <laughs> <laughs> 
And I brought up altered mindsets because gasoline vapor can affect your mind. The Illinois Department of Public Health has a website that talks all about the dangers of inhaling gasoline. Gasoline has a lot of chemicals in it. And when you breathe all of those chemicals in, not only can it irritate your nose and throat, but it'll give you headaches. It'll make you dizzy, nauseous. You could vomit. You'll be very confused, have difficulty breathing. You're going to get out of your regular mindset if you're in a situation where your air supply is quickly filling with gasoline vapor. (laughs) And then he follows that up with the silver paint, Mm -hmm. which we've already discussed, we believe has other things in it. Oh, yeah. When I first saw the movie, I wasn't too sure... Like, I was like, is it, is that, is he just spraying paint in his face? And it's like, oh, maybe he's marking himself for glory, I guess, was, is the thing. But then, because of the, the speeded up footage and stuff of it, I thought that, yeah, you're supposed to be, it's supposed to be implied that he's, it's like giving him like a hit of something. That it's like, it's got like, you know, some sort of chemical adrenaline or something like that. That's like giving him an extra, like, you know, kind of a, a boost to do something. Because it, it, it just in the way that it you know that shot is, it, it seems to speed up the footage or something. It's something very erratic about the way it's done that would indicate to me that yeah, there's there's something something else at play here than just a simple spraying of silver paint. <laughs> yeah, that was our hypothesis as well. That sure, it's paint, but it's also probably got other things added into it. Yeah, to Although, enhance its features. <laughs> This, the, the thing is, like, this was almost uh, instantaneously sort of, um, not ruined, but just sidelined. Because now we're living in the age of, of memes, basically. And as soon as, pretty much after this movie came out, straight away, people were already making comparisons between this and that one scene in It's Always Sunny, where Charlie Day is huffing silver paint out of a sock. And it, <laughs> it kind of glares up and he has, like, the... The silver paint all over his nose and stuff. It's when he's writing the Dayman song and the big famous <laughs> episode of the show. And it's just the fact, like, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same weekend as I saw this movie. I was seeing pictures of screenshots of that with witness me and stuff written all over <laughs> it and stuff. So it got to a point where I was kind of like, was like in my head, I was like, is all, was it's always sunny? Was that a deliberate Mad Max reference? Until I remembered, like, no, that episode was like th- three or four years before the movie even came out and stuff. Yeah. But now it's so synonymous with it, with it now, it's like, I can't separate the two at all. One thing's for sure, edible paint spray definitely got a huge boost from this movie. There's edible yeah. paint spray? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wilton makes it. That's a cake decorating company. Straight up, just like, hey, you should have paint. <laughs> I'm co-signing That's like people paint. seeing Johnny yeah. and Future now just constantly with paint just around no. their mouth and stuff. No, <laughs> definitely not. I think that that would freak me out. I'd be like, what's in this? I know it says edible, but like, what's in this? It may be edible, but from all of the instances I've seen of people taking the food spray and spraying it over their mouths, their first reaction is, ugh, this tastes terrible. Right. It's made to be like sprayed sparingly on a cake, usually over fondant, which you don't generally eat anyways. Yeah. So, yes, it's edible. It's not going to poison you, but... It's not so much meant to be consumed. But it's meant to help you cosplay war dogs. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> That's all this is. So Nux, as he's filling his car with gasoline, says a phrase that really stood out to me. He shouts, I am the man who grabs the sun riding to Valhalla. And he shouts it very enthusiastically. And he follows that up by turning around, looking at Max and yelling, witness me, bloodbag. 
And I stopped for a moment and I was like, is there a thing in North mythology about grabbing the sun? Is that oh, a thing? There's a thing. There's a thing. So in Norse mythology, there is a brother-sister pair. The sister is named Saul. She is the sun. The brother is named Manny. He is the moon. And they ride on chariots, each in their turn, the sun and the moon. There are also two wolves, each one chasing the sun and the moon. The wolf that chases the sun is called Skull, which means mockery. And the wolf that chases the moon is named Hattie. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that one right, but... Hattie, which means hate. So a wolf named Mockery is chasing the sun. And part of Ragnarok, part of the events that usher in Ragnarok, is that the wolf chasing the sun will catch the sun and consume it. Mm. So Nux is calling himself Skull, meaning Mockery, which is catching the sun, ushering in Ragnarok. And of course, Ragnarok is the big cataclysmic end of all things. It's the apocalypse. Yeah. So when Nux says, I'm the one who catches the sun, it means I'm an embodiment of an element of apocalypse. He's also saying that he is an embodiment of an element of the creation and existence myths of mockery. So I think unknowingly, he is making a mockery of the Norse mythology. As he's on his way to Valhalla. <laughs> yes. I think that might come back to bite him. <laughs> Which means like technically, yes. And also there's an element of Icarus in this too. Absolutely. Because he flies too close to the sun. He doesn't catch it and burns himself instead. Yeah. I like that he's, he's trying to be scald to consume the sun and he fails at thus becoming Icarus. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he's bouncing between myths. And neither one of them really work out that great. <laughs> we need to remember this because there is going to be an interaction that we have later on in the movie involving Nux where he's going to repeat this idea again. Okay. The idea of someone grabbing the sun. All right. We won't talk about it this week. It's coming later on down mm. the line. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the next half hour. <laughs> I think it would be remiss as well to talk about the fact that Nux is essentially making himself into a, like a suicide bomb to ram himself into a thing in order to save the day, much like uh, the character of Finn in uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> it's like, how much of that damn trilogy take from Mad Max for your own here? <laughs> Sorry, I just, like, I, that, that occurred to me like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I was like, I better make sure to bring that up. <laughs> what I like about this scene where Nux is turning his car into a rolling bomb is that Max has seen a lot of this already. He knows what the spray means. He knows what shouting witness means because he saw it back when we had Morsov leaping off the fuel pod to attack the buzzards. And so Max is sitting there outside of this back window and he's watching Nux open up all these valves. And it looks pretty crazy filling your car with gasoline. Anyone would look at that and say, huh, that's strange. But Max sees Nux do the spray. He hears him shout witness and he instantly recognizes, oh, hey, yeah, that's the suicide thing. I better try and stop this. Yeah. yeah there's a distinct moment where like it, when Nux says to him, like, you know, repeats like witness, it has a close up of Max staring at him. And there, yeah, there's a look of recognition. And that's when he starts to furiously kind of pound on the, the back window with, you know, even more intensity than before. So it's a, uh, yeah, 
Again, too, just looking at that shot, it's just like, those spikes in that mask are so close to those eyes. It's just freaking me out looking at it. I can't take it. So Max is crouched in the back of the next car, and as we mentioned, he's hammering on the rear window. And one thing that I like about it is that Max is not hammering with his bare fist. He's taken the slack in the chain, and he's wrapped it around his arm, and he's using that to punch the glass. Because if you've ever punched a window with your bare fist, I don't know how many people have, but (laughs) glass can be kind of (laughs) hard and a bit rough on your knuckles. So if you can reinforce your hand somehow, yeah, cool, do it. It also helps contain the fact that there's this gigantic long chain coming down from Max's head to the door and then attached to Nux. Helps contain it a little bit and make it not flapping around in the wind there. It's a good way to control it. I like that he already had it wrapped around his fist. And it could be, and it definitely makes sense, that yeah, he was picking up the slack so that he couldn't accidentally be blown off, that it couldn't get caught on something. I think that he was already planning on punching out that back window. Mm. He just chose that moment to start because he saw the spray paint and the gasoline and had a renewed motivation to get this done now. So I think he was already planning on punching out the window. He just sped things up a little. Yeah. And as we see, it is effective. It is a strategy that he conceives, executes and succeeds. And he punches out that back window. And as he pushes all of the broken glass aside, he goes to reach for something. Nux initially just to grab him, but Nux pulls out a tool. He pulls out the road flare and he lights it by rubbing it across the top of the car. And he is going to just turn that flare over and plunge it down in the gasoline. Of course, Max is like, no, I would rather that not happen. (laughs) And as Max goes to reach for Nux, he's still got the majority of the chain wrapped up around his arm. So when Nux pulls down, it pulls Max out. Yeah, it's this really bizarre tug of war wrapping around the outside of the car. Mm -hmm. Only one of them can be effective at any given time. Yeah. And it's about here that we get the line from Nux, I live, I die, I live again. That also, in looking up about eating the sun, I also learned that when Ragnarok is all over and said and done, the world will rise again. Oh. Which I never knew that about Ragnarok. Ragnarok, as it's spoken of in the media, especially now that there's a movie called Ragnarok, it seems very final. Like, nope, this is the end. We're done after this. That's not the case. The world and the Norse pantheon will rise again. So I don't know if that's what he's referring to, that he will live, he will die, and he will live again. But it definitely goes along with that mythology. Well, Ragnarok brings about like a clean slate, basically, like a a peaceful time which is weird for like vikings and warriors but like you know people gotta have a party and to like drink in the halls and have debaucherous times yeah because they deserve it enjoy their downtime too yeah i think this is actually the first time we hear the i live i die i live again thing sure we had immortan joe saying i will raise you from the ashes of this world but this specifically i think this is the first time that we've ever entertained the idea of a life outside of this apocalypse. And I'm not sure if he's talking about a life in Valhalla or if he's referring to something more akin to reincarnation or resurrection. Because this is the first time it's been brought up, we don't really have any clues as to 
what he means by that because mm-hmm. it could be interpreted many, many different ways. My interpretation of when he said it was like, I live, I die, I live again, is that it's approaching into the afterlife. Like, I'm going to live again in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. That was my interpretation of it you know, rather than a flat out resurrection. But uh, we were talking about, though, the, the idea, though, that he's bringing about writing to Valhalla and stuff as well. You know, obviously, you know, going into the going into the afterlife. But like you were talking earlier, though, about like the the you know, the, the man who catches the sum and stuff which was kind of talking about bringing about the apocalypse. And it's like, how does he think this is going to cause an apocalypse? Like it's only the only person this is going to cause an apocalypse for is him, really, and Max, obviously as well, and presumably Furiosa. <laughs> so it's a sort of a it's a, you know I'm not too sure what I guess he just telling himself whatever to get through this whole situation <laughs> to make it uh, make himself feel better but it's a uh, it, it's more to think about it. it's a very odd thing to say in this specific situation like all you're planning to do is blow up yourself and like two other people well as far as you know actually several more people obviously have all the 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 wives and stuff uh within the war rig as well eh, it's poetic in a way yeah i yeah. don't think he has enough foresight to like think post ragnarok <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just like let me die, get a warrior's death, meet all my friends, have a couple beers, hang out. The Norse love their songs of glory, and to frame yourself as Skull, the great wolf who grabs the sun, pretty cool. I have to say, I feel just really bad for again. Of course, of course, I feel bad for Max in this situation because it's a pretty terrible situation. But even the fact that he's punched in that back window and he's originally trying to grab Nux. Even that's a no-win situation because if you grab him, what what are you going to do through that little hole in the window? Like, what are you going to do? Like, he's if you grab him and distract him from driving, he's just going to drive off the road or into the tornado, or he's going to flip the car, or the so like that in itself is introducing another element of you know added danger and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like your best case scenario is that yeah, he doesn't get to light the flare and he crashes and flips the car, and you yourself might survive, but it's unlikely. And even if you do. You're going to be on foot in the middle of this giant friggin' storm. Max has shown his fighting style in this movie to be very much, what can I do to improve my situation just for this very second? Not so much thinking about how is this going to help me live in the long run. Yeah. The fight that we saw him have with the group of warboys back in the Citadel, he had some really great moments, but then he hit a dead end with those moments. They didn't take him anywhere. They didn't help him survive. But in the moment... It was the right decision. And that's the same thing here. He could stop the flare from going in the gasoline, and that would be great. But he doesn't think about what next after that. Mm-hmm. After that, there's still a lit flare and a pool of gasoline, and he's still chained to this guy. Yeah. And there's still a tornado outside. That's a problem for future <laughs> Max to worry about. Exactly. <laughs> well, I feel like that's the decision-making style of pretty much everybody in this movie. Yeah, what's the right decision for right now? Not for five minutes or ten minutes or two hours. Then they, or five two minutes, days. ten minutes, two hours from now, they're like, mm, crap. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I do kind of like the idea though of Mel Gibson, Max, thinking like, "Oh, that's a problem for future Max, that Tom Hardy guy." The next Max can worry about that one. Exactly. Speaking of plans, so Nux has filled his car with gasoline, and he is positioning his car in front of the Warwick. And I think the idea that he has is that he is going to explode his car in front of the war rig, and it's going to damage the rig in such a way that the rig has to stop. Yes, and that actually seems like a really good plan. Yeah, if you destroy the front end of that truck, it's not going to keep going. No, and we see down the road that Nux is mechanically inclined, so he knows exactly 
stop those engines and you stop the war rig. Mm-hmm. And he knows that attacking the tanker or the fuel pod behind is not going to be as efficient as going straight for those engines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, this task is proving more difficult because Max is pulling on the other end of the chain and Nux is also fighting a lost tire. And so he's struggling to stay in front of the war rig. And you can add into that the fact that his roof hatch is starting to peel back and eventually the wind just snatches it right away. Like it's gone. He's not getting that back. Perfect opportunity for Max to reach in and do his thing. The thing is then the um, the ensuing tumble. Actually, to be fair, yeah, the ensuing tumble looks worse than like any tumble he would have had just grabbing Nux in general. <laughs> so yeah. I suppose like Mad Max's life is just like, yeah, it's all a no-win situation pretty much. <laughs> Like whatever day you get up, it's like oh, it's gonna be a bad day. Like it's all they're all bad days. <laughs> I'm just trying to get by. <laughs> I more lo- lovely days. I love this tumble because Nux raises up the flare, the roof hatch flies off, and Nux is ready to thrust it down. His arm is stopped by Max, who has jumped over the top of the car, but Nux still slams on the brake because the idea was you slam on the brake, and then when the truck hits you, you blow up the gasoline disable the vehicle but he only executes half of that plan the brake plan and as the war rig plows into the back of nux's car miraculously the gasoline doesn't splash up into the flare <laughs> and ignite the whole thing yeah i call shenanigans <laughs> <laughs> nux's plan was nearly foolproof how how did it not blow up the laws of nature don't apply here (laughs) welcome to the toxic storm where none of the rules apply yeah (laughs) and in case anybody is wondering yes this is a moment where the cinema sins guys say they survive this yeah i look at this situation and i just go back to max is a fairy princess he can take a lot of damage and with all this air and sand blowing around i'm sure there are plenty of soft dunes for him to fall into mm. <laughs> right mm. i mean <laughs> if, I, if i had a big problem with the method of surviving and this will go into your next week is that he wakes up with his face in a pile of sand and it's like wouldn't he have suffocated that was my big like i, I could take him surviving this <laughs> my, my my problem was like oh he's face first in sand for presumably several hours and he doesn't say no problems breathing in that but like oh now i'm now i'm becoming the cinema city guy <laughs> no, i'm just thinking about he'll land into a cute bolt of lightning but like that's just me <laughs> <laughs> like he's flying through the air and then a gust will come along and it'll gingerly catch him and then lower him to the ground and he cover him in nice warm one. sand <laughs> <laughs> Plot convenience. (laughs) (laughs) It just goes to show you can't kill Max. You can throw him in a Thunderdome. You can toss him off of any sort of number of things. I would have a more impressive list if I had thought about this ahead of time, but I'm totally off the cuff at this point. You can do whatever you want to Max. It's not going to stop him. It could be like a, a, a genuinely interesting spin if they introduce the idea that Max is actually genuinely immortal and he's just cursed to live in this world where he can't die. Like he would welcome death. 
But he just says, I'm just trying to get to New Zealand to find these mutant sheep guys. Like, that's all I want. <laughs> but it's like, I know I'm going to survive this. But it's just like, oh, my gosh, everything about this is so inconvenient for me. Maybe that's why he puts himself into, like, these horrible conditions. He's like, maybe this time I will die. It's like some <laughs> sort of weird post-apocalyptic quantum leap. <laughs> maybe this scenario is finally going to be the one that sends me home. Uh, there'll be a scene of Tom Hardy looking into a mirror. And it'll be Mel Gibson. And it's like, no, he just jumped into another body. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that pretty much brings us to the end of the week. Johnny and Niall, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's been fun. Oh, thank you very much for, for having us, uh, Rick yeah. and, and Julia, of course. Uh, okay, well, well, the thing, I absolutely uh, you know, love this movie. So I was more than happy to come on to talk about it. I'd forgotten how good it was, actually, like in watching it again this week. So I hadn't seen it really since the since the cinema, and I was like, "Okay, I remember liking that." Okay, and then watching it this week, I was like, "Holy crap! This is this is a good movie. This is a, a solid piece of work." So yeah, more than happy to to talk about it anytime. I was prepping last night for recording, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm." Uh, I was talking to Mark, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be on with uh, Rick and Julia tomorrow." And he's like, "Well, what are you doing?" I was like, "Fury Road." He goes, "What? What? You're on Fury Road?" He's <laughs> like, "They're on that already," and I was like, "Yeah." Are you jealous? <laughs> so, I had a like, fun time. <laughs> the scene Rick now furiously written down his list of guests like, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Hope he likes end credits. <laughs> well, here at the end, Johnny, where can people hear more of you if they want to find you on the internet? If you want to and if you care, <laughs> if you just so desire, you can go and look up Austin Powers Minute on any podcatcher pretty much and find us on Facebook the same way. Join the society that we all like to post memes in and something about astronaut ice cream last week in the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club. Spoiler, it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so don't do that to yourself. Um, but yeah, come find us and talk to everybody who's been on and who are his fans. And Niall, tell us a little bit about Batman. Batman is doing what you guys are doing, only with uh, the Batman movies. The Specifically the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher Batman movies. Uh, we can't touch the Dark Knight movies because there's another there's another podcast covering those a minute at a time. But um, yeah, we just uh, finished the entirety of Batman 89. Uh, actually, at this point, maybe... I'm not too sure when this will air, but we might even be entirely done with uh, with Batman Returns. And uh, yeah, we're moving on to Batman Forever some point in late uh, 2019. But yeah, you get me and my uh, co-host John and, uh, of course, everyone who's been in these episodes as well. Like uh, Rick and Julia, you were on uh, in Batman Returns talking, like, making a direct through line between Immortan Joe and Max Shrek and how essentially they're the same character. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, Johnny was on at one point. Uh, I think we talked about... Like which Muppets would play which Batman characters and stuff. It was a it was a fun week, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got the, the uh, you know that and more a whole congregation of different guests, and you can find us in all your usual podcatchers and your iTunes and all that stuff. Just you know, you just Google Batman. It will will pop up you know somewhere. I know people will probably scoff at the idea of covering Batman Forever, but I will always be reminded that Batman Forever is the one with Australia's own Nicole Kidman as Dr. Chase Meridian. Yes. <laughs> I felt really bad, too, because it's like, uh, you know, not to get into much into what, you know, we'll, we'll be covering in the next season of the show, but, like, 
the fact that they've gone through, and we've particularly seen it in um, recording this season, because we've had quite a few female guests on for Batman It Returns. We have quite a few in the first movie as well, but they're more enthusiastic for this for the second movie because of Catwoman, and they just love Catwoman as a character. And then to go from that level of female representation to jump off the cliff into Dr. Chase Meridian for an entire movie. <laughs> yep. It kind of makes you go, like, at least Batman and Robin had Batgirl and Poison Ivy. Like, at least it, it did that right. Batman yeah. Forever has got, like, its, it's presentation of female characters is atrocious. But yeah, that's our... Apart from that, though, apparently a lot of people really surprisingly looking forward to getting into that movie. We've got a lot of enthusiastic guests who said, oh, I can't wait to come back for Batman Forever. Well, with a theme song like Kiss from a Rose, oh yeah. how can you not be excited? <laughs> I'll give you that one, yeah. <laughs> One thing that you guys like to do over there on Bat Minute is you have fun little outros. Niall, could you grace us with a Bat Minute style outro for this week? Uh, I'll try. <laughs> Let's have a crack at this. Because I'm not, yeah, this is the thing. Like, I never had one given to me. So I'm just like, oh my God. Now I, now I see what it's like. It's like. Oh, this is horrible. I shouldn't do, I shouldn't ask people to do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, <clears throat> next time. A flare flops after a failed conflagration allows Furiosa to flee. Then, a sandy survivor surfaces from a short slumber to find his senses spoiled. Will our resilient road warrior recover his sovereignty, or is he cursed to be chained to his captor? Find out next time, same max time, different max minutes. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 30 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.